I wrote in my scouting notebook that he looks like a pass-catching tight end. It's insane how athletic Janarius Robinson is at that size. I really believe they had one of the better drafts in the entire NFL. And a big part of the reason why was the fact that they moved down in round one. And I really liked what they ultimately did on day two and throughout day three. What's going on, Vikings fans? Welcome to episode number 98 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. This is your host, Chris Corso, joined by a full house today. We have Vikings team reporter Eric Smith, as well as producer Jay Nelson. And as always, our guy Gabe Henderson is here uh, for the show. But we have a jam-packed show today as week two of OTAs is underway at the TCO Performance Center. The Vikings are really getting going here and getting into all of these organized team workouts. Eric's been there. Gabe's been there. We have a great interview with CBS Sports National NFL writer Chris Trapasso. He does an unbelievable job covering the NFL draft each year. Eric asks him about every single pick his grade on the Vikings draft class, and much more. So stay tuned for that. We have an NFL contract date that has just passed here on June 1st. We will get into all of that and the ramifications for the Vikings salary cap as well as a little top five wide receiver debate action uh, that we have here from a BleacherReport.com article where Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are featured. Probably not where all you Vikings fans would think, so we'll get into that later in the show. Jam-packed episode. We have content all over Vikings.com and the Vikings social media platforms from highlights from OTAs to film breakdowns with Pete Bursich. So um, check that all out on the Vikings Entertainment Network platforms here um, as we are into week two of OTAs. So with that, I'm going to bring in Gabe and just get his overall takeaways as we're we're just right in the middle of week two of OTAs here at the TCO Performance Center. Uh, Things are starting to slow down for players, and I'm not talking about like physically, like mentally is what I'm talking about. I mean, the speed physically is starting to pick up, but you can start to see like some of the veterans starting to, you know, not make as many mistakes or not slip as much, or, you know, you're starting to see more one-handed catches. I tweeted the other day that Xavier Woods, the game is slowing down for him. He's just at the right place at the right time. He's breaking on, you know, certain routes that, that he can already see coming. And you can just tell it's just the film study and guys starting to understand the playbook. Um, Week one, like I said, uh, last week, offense won a day, defense won a day, and then uh, last Wednesday, it was it was pretty even. This week, it's starting to feel like a practice again. It's starting to feel like, you know, like training camp, like the first few days of training camp, and that's what you love to see. There are more quality reps taking place, and I- I'm just loving what I'm seeing right now, man. Um, I know it's early. I know it's too soon to make a prediction on, you know, what c- cert- what a certain player will look like once the season rolls around. But I, I like what I see, what I'm seeing from a lot of guys, especially Irv Smith Jr. Well, we heard from Irv Smith Jr. as well as the Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer on Wednesday from the TCO Performance Center. I think Zimmer's pretty happy right now. He he sounds like he's kind of just happy to be back. He's happy to be not wearing a mask around the facility, yeah. uh, being fully vaccinated himself. Uh, Eric, you were at that press conference. You, you've also been putting together the three observations after a lot of these practices. So give me your overall takeaways of the vibes around practice and what you heard from Mike Zimmer. Yeah, it's fun, first of all, just to see practice, right? Because a year ago at this time, we were all doing this, just kind of sitting in front of our computers, you know, hoping to get any sort of media availability. And there was certainly no on-field practice. So multiple players and multiple coaches have said already this offseason how much they are enjoying just being back on the field, you know, just kind of being back on that green grass and, having that, you know, bonding experience, kind of building that team chemistry, which is so important once the season does roll around. And yeah, uh, I thought I agree with you, Chris, that Mike Zimmer did sound very happy on Wednesday when he did his media session with the Twin Cities beat reporters. But if he was happy then, he was ecstatic after practice, after Wednesday's OTA practice, because the defense pretty much just flat out dominated at practice. You know, the Vikings did a lot of red zone drills and, Harrison Hand had an interception on Kirk Cousins. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander picked off Kirk. 
And then Ryan Connolly, the linebacker from Eden Prairie High School, he actually had a, a sliding interception on, I think it was Jake Browning. Yeah, tip ball. It was a tip ball, yeah. I think Nick Vigil got his hand in there in coverage on uh, on Tyler Conklin. So kind of what Gabe said, you know, the first day that was open to the media last week was a little bit of back and forth. This one went more towards the defense's favor, but I wouldn't be surprised next week if the offense comes back and has a good day too. You know, you, you know those guys, even if it is just practice in the first or second week of June, uh, those guys have a lot of pride and they want to come out and have a good bounce back performance. I love what Mike Zimmer had to say about the chemistry. I mean, he's just thrown out there that the guys really have enjoyed each other. They've they, they've enjoyed being back. Most of the veterans are in the building and at these voluntary workouts, which are not mandatory, they are voluntary. Uh, to sort of have guys like Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and then if you go to the defensive side of the ball, a guy like Harrison Smith, after 11, 12 years in the NFL, wanting to be back. Uh, Patrick Peterson, the new free agent acquisition, being here in the building. The only guy who's not in the building, uh, big-time name, is Daniil Hunter, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, Jay, what are your overall thoughts on, on what's going on and, and what we're looking ahead to um, as we kind of go into this second week of OTAs here? I think given what you guys have all been talking about, just the, the mood Everyone being happy to be back, everyone happy to be working together. Um, you can just kind of tell it from not only the press conferences, but if you're watching our social media accounts and stuff when they're doing the the camera as the guys are coming off the field, everyone seems to be having a good time, especially after practice. Um, guys hanging out together and and it just feels like we're back in that that somewhat normal vibe of of training camp, or at least we're not even at training camp, we're just in OTAs, but to me, it's it's this this feeling or this vibe from everyone who's back just saying, I appreciate it more. I, I didn't really fully realize what I missed at that point. And um, for me, I think it's just cool to see everyone coming back and feeling like they're putting in that that precious time that they can in the offseason to really gel and, and build that chemistry. So hopefully that continues. I'll add to that, Jay. So like in recent years, and I'm sure we all can kind of agree on this a little bit, but like at times OTAs feel a little bit monotonous and maybe a little bit boring you know because it's not, it's not full speed they're not in pads but man like I have just been loving g- getting out there and like watching practice for once because yeah I, I missed it a year ago too I, I think we all probably did and one question that you asked Justin Jefferson Gabe last week you're like this is your first OTAs you didn't have OTAs last year when you when you have a guy like that just getting excited he he seemed thrilled to be talking to you I think that was after Tuesday or Monday's practice earlier yeah, in the week. Yeah, I think it was Tuesday, and just his vibe, you feel – I mean, we know this. You feel his energy every time he talks, and just seeing him out there on the field, you, you feel that also. Like, every single route that he runs, like, he's either catching it and bursting upfield for 10 or 15 yards, or he's just finishing a play, or he's finishing a block. Like, he, he's taking this time serious, and especially a guy, you know – that broke pretty much every single Randy Moss uh, rookie receiving record for him to come back in year two, which technically his job is his job pays him to to run routes to to the best of his ability. But for him to have that same work ethic and drive, it's, it's been fun to see. And I, I mean, he accredited to going down to Miami this offseason, training at a household athlete with brought with uh, Brian Marshall and some of the top receivers in the NFL, uh, your Tyreek Hills and your Stephon Diggs. He, he credits that success to that. And I think, you know, that iron sharpening iron this offseason, that is what is being displayed on the field at OTA so far. And, I mean, you see guys like Adam Thielen, B.C. Johnson, K.J. Osborne, like they're running their routes more, Chris. They're taking every rep um, like it's a game rep, and that's what you want this time of the year. Mike Zimmer even said it in his press conference. He's like, Justin Jefferson has confidence out there at OTAs. You can see it. You can feel it. He's messing around. Uh, The Vikings.com mic'd up segment caught that pretty well. You can go check that out. Uh, on vikings.com really really good content there Uh, anything involving justin jefferson is either good content or a lot of production out on the field Uh, with that let's move up up to the next topic of today's show and it is the june 1st nfl contract date significance this has a lot of significance for the vikings i believe there's some dollar signs that will be added to the salary cap heading um, into this season so maybe we could see another addition or two before um, everything happens. Jay, why don't you explain a little bit um, what you have written down here on the outline? You really went into depth 
uh, about what the Vikings and the ramifications are for them. I believe it was with the Kyle Rudolph contract. Yeah, here's the thing, guys. I'm going to say this up front. I am by no means a uh, legal scholar. I am by no means a cap guy. But what I did do is some research here on a couple different articles, just kind of trying to understand what's the significance of June 1st, because we've been hearing it not only for guys like Kyle Rudolph when they when he was uh, released and we said we were putting him with a June 1st uh, release date. Um, but at the same point, there's a certain quarterback to the east of here who's going through this kind of stuff right now. And we kept hearing from the draft day on, there's no way they're going to move them until June 1st. So the kind of the question is why? Why that June 1st date? And what it really comes down to is that due to the, the current Article 13 rules of collective bargaining, basically it says there's there's two things that can happen. So if a just reading what Article 13 says here, it says for any player removed from a team's roster or whose contract is assigned to another club via either waivers or trade on or before June 1st of any league year, any unamortized signing bonus amounts will be included on the team salary cap for such league year. So for this league year. On the flip side, for any player removed from the team's roster or contract assigned via waivers or trade after June 1st, any unamortized signing bonus amounts for future years will be included fully in the team's salary at the start of the next league year. Here's what that means. So basically, the Cliff Notes version is this. If a player like Kyle Rudolph was moved after June 1st, any money that he has as a signing bonus that's guaranteed for multiple seasons, if you move him before June 1st, all of that money lumps into this current year's salary cap. But if you move him as June 1st or after, what that means is you get hit for whatever this year's guaranteed money is on this year's cap, and all remaining years after that gets lumped on next year's cap. So the long and the short of it is, if you don't want to have to necessarily eat all of that guaranteed money when you move a player, you technically say we're not moving him on until June 1st, and that way that money gets spread out over multiple years instead of one big lump sum. Now, on top of that, that makes sense for a certain quarterback to the east of here, where if they were to move him prior to June 1st, he has a $21 million guaranteed salary this year and a $17 million guaranteed next year. If they would have moved him prior to June 1st, they would have had to eat $38 million this season. And technically, his salary for this season is approximately $37 million. So it would have cost them more money if they would have moved him before June 1st just to get rid of him. It would have cost more than what they had currently allocated for his entire salary for the season. So just to play the numbers game there one more time, for example, if you have a player that's got two years left on their deal, they have a $3 million base salary that's not guaranteed and a $2 million signing bonus that is fully guaranteed. And then next year they would have $4 million base salary, not guaranteed $3 million signing bonus guaranteed. If you move him before June 1st, the only thing is it would be the $2 million for this year and the $3 million for next year, counting for $5 million on your cap this year, where if you were to move him after June 1st, you'd get hit for $2 million this season and $3 million next season. So it's just a way to spread out the pain there when you go to move on a player contract like this. So because of that, the way Kyle Rudolph's contract was written, it means that essentially um, for the next two seasons, his cap hits will approximately be 1.45 million this season and 2.9 million next season instead of it being 4.35 this year. And that also means that because of the money that he had that was non-guaranteed, but he was a top 51 player, we essentially freed up $7.9 million in cap space that comes back on our cap space for this year. So that June 1st date was a really big deal because we not only spread out the pain of what he was guaranteed, but we also got back that $7.9 million in cap space, meaning we're currently left with approximately $14 million on the cap right now. So that is a very long way, Jay, of saying we are going to sign another veteran cornerback pretty soon here. Is that, nah. is that what you're saying? A wide receiver three, maybe? Is that what we're looking at? Another Listen, defensive this, end? But that's the thing. This is Brzezinski's world, and if you really want to get into that kind of stuff with him, good luck. Well, no, I seriously appreciate you breaking that down because when you're looking at some of the salary cap stuff, I've been seeing like a lot of uh, rumors out there. I, I, I am all for adding as much depth as possible uh, before training camp hits. 
uh, later in July. I'm very, very excited for a lot of these battles and competition that we're going to have that we did not have throughout the season last year, mostly due to injuries. But um, anytime you get more space, Gabe, I think it's a pretty positive thing for this team heading into training camp. Yeah, I think my only take on that is I think we know who our next guest on MVP is going to be. It's got to be Rob Rosensky. Like we, we got to get him over here and just talk. He works like behind the scenes. <laughs> we haven't had a chance to really do like, you know, I just – and he's one of the best guys in the building. Yeah. He really is. He's one of the best guys in the TCO Performance Center. I know Eric and Jay know that. Um, he has, you know, he always has a good time at training camp. He always did out in Mankato. But, Gabe, I love that. I, I would love to have Rob Brzezinski um, join the Minnesota Vikings podcast. But Here's the thing. I'll put out the bat signal and see what Rob thinks. And uh, <laughs> there's always a way, I'm sure, to get him to join Here's the question: What is he really going to be able to answer for you? So exactly, uh, it, but it, but it's a thing. If um, I will put out the bat signal and see if we can get Rob to join the show here, it'd be a lot of fun. He's Love it. seriously one of the nicest people in the world uh, when it just comes to talking about everyday life, rather than what he does on the daily with with the contracts and and all the moves that he's been making to keep all these guys under the under the uh, the roster and under the salary cap. We all know the challenges that the Vikings front office went through um, with the salary cap that they expected to be much higher um, than it was this offseason due to COVID. But um, you also do have some of these players that we have to start looking at going forward and looking ahead to the 2022 salary cap, which is believed to be around $189.7 million. Um, there are currently around 25 players on the Vikings uh, roster that are on one-year contracts. Seven offensive linemen, including Brian O'Neill. I believe he was asked about his contract situation this week at the TCO Performance Center. He says he wants to be a Viking for a very long time. So hopefully that thing gets worked out. And then you have Harrison Smith um, coming towards the end of that big-time deal he signed back in the day. Uh, Patrick Peterson is, of course, on a one-year deal uh, this offseason. We'll see how that works out and how he plays. And then we have some other guys, uh, depth guys like Tyler Conklin, Amir Abdullah, and, of course, the Anthony Barr deal, which was restructured this past offseason. He only has one year left um, because of that restructuring. So a lot of decisions. I think Rob might be a little busy (laughs) to join us, but hopefully we get – Rob Rosinski here on the Minnesota Vikings podcast because Gabe, I, I agree that would be an outstanding interview. Looking forward, we have a little top five wide receiver ranking knowledge here from Bleacher Report. Maurice Moton of Bleacher Report did a look at his top five wide receiver combos. I don't know how you could have Justin Jefferson at number five. Just him in general having one of the best rookie seasons in NFL history, breaking Randy Moss's record, and Adam Thielen, who's one of the most consistent wide receivers in the NFL the past few years. Let's run through the other four real quick, and then I'm going to throw it to you guys and see what you think. Number four is CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper of the okay. Dallas Cowboys. Already right there, I'm, I'm, I'm a okay. little uh, ticked <laughs> off here, because CeeDee Lamb had half the rookie season that Justin Jefferson had, and his combination is already at number four. Number three is Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, which I believe they might be breaking up according to all the reports and rumors that we see out there um, regarding Julio Jones. Number two, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in Seattle. We know what kind of force DK Metcalf has become. I don't know if they're number two compared to um, what we have here in Minnesota. And then number one, I'll give this one to the Super Bowl champions, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in Tampa Bay. They got the number one spot. So, Eric, what are your overall thoughts here as I just ran through this list? Yeah, Adam and JJ are way too low. Um, I mean, my only thought is why they put the Dallas duo ahead of them is because of Dak and that they're looking at it for 2021 and they think that Dak's going to come back because – Sure, when Dak was healthy the first, what was it, five or six games, I mean, he was throwing for 350 yards a game, you know, and Lamb wasn't really involved that much early. But maybe they're looking at it for the future. I'm looking at it based on what you've done. And to me, yeah, Adam and JJ should be much higher. But I look at this list too, and I just think that whoever your quarterback is kind of helps you, helps boost you up this list. Like, 
Julio, right, is like a Hall of Famer. And so that's why, you know, him alone probably brings him and Ridley to number three. But if you look at the top two, Metcalf and Lockett, they have Russell Wilson, and then obviously the number one duo has Tom Brady. So, like, you know, of those five duos, you could argue that Kirk probably gets looked at as the least favorable among those five. I would disagree with that, but maybe Maurice Moton, or I guess if that's the guy who put it together, maybe that's why he did it. But, yeah, I, I would put J.J. and Adam probably – third on the list I'd move them ahead of the Dallas and the Atlanta duo I'm okay with them being behind Metcalf and Lockett and uh, Godwin and Evan but they're not five they're they're certainly number three I'm just breaking down the stats here Adam Thielen was an absolute touchdown machine he had 14 touchdowns last year 925 yards I guess the receiving yards is a little low um, for his standards compared to recent years But if you look at Justin Jefferson, 1,400 yards on the dot, seven touchdowns, an average of 15.9 yards per reception. Gabe, the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, and I mean, if if we're really talking about numbers and to Eric's point of what what have you done for me lately, you can technically move Justin Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen above Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Like they, they have more yards combined, they have more touchdowns combined. That's why I threw the the numbers out there for you, Gabe. I made it easy for you. And I mean, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, those were both two one thousand yard receivers last year, right? So I mean, that that's hard to argue there. CD Lamb, Amari Cooper, like it's, I mean, for specifically talking numbers. Like, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen have the most combined touchdowns out of anybody in this group. But if we're talking yards, they don't have more yards than C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. Like, that's a pretty good duo right there. I'll probably put the Vikings third behind uh, Seattle, Dallas, and then got Minnesota right there at third. Um, I think you can argue for that second-place spot, though, with with the Cowboys. It's like, you know, C.D. Lamb, yeah, he had nine, what, 935 receiving yards. That can compare with Adam Thielen if we're talking just one-two punch. But other than that, man, like this guy, Maurice, you, you got to explain yourself a little bit more because I'm still trying to figure this out like in a non-biased way of like how he came to this solution. And um, what is like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods were like honorable mention. And I, I mean, if we we're really talking numbers there, like, yeah, it's nine touchdowns combined between the two, but neither one of the receivers – like had over a thousand yards receiving and I mean granted you can probably blame uh Jared Goff for that but still like if we're if we're talking numbers here you gotta you gotta move Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen up um I wouldn't say they're the number one duo in the NFL but uh top three I'll give them that not number one yet talk to me after this year yeah, I mean, I don't hate the Mike Evans, Chris Godwin thing. They won, they won the Super Bowl. They they have Tom Brady. They're both guys who are in the prime of their careers, young, ascending wide receivers. Mike Evans has been around a long time, but I guess he still is ascending in what he's able to do out on the field. DK Metcalf, I love what what he brings, but I don't know if Tyler Lockett is on the level talent wise of either Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen. So I could even go as far as putting us at number two with number one not even being on the same st- uh, stat category that we were last season. And like Eric said, I think Justin Jefferson's only going to get better. And I don't think Adam Thielen's really slowing down anytime soon. I don't know, Eric. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we all work for the Vikings, so like we're trying not to come off as, as biased here, but. It's just clear. Speak for yourself. It's just clear, right? That like. I mean, if we want to rank defenses from last year, I wouldn't be so so happy right now. So very true. Whether you look at uh, touchdown totals or yards or potential or quarterbacks, like I don't think any of us are are beating the drum. The Vikings should be number one. I think they will have a good chance after this year, but they certainly need to be moved up the list. And another thing I think that hurts maybe the. Adam and JJ is the Vikings have a run first offense and and everyone knows that maybe if we threw it more and gave these guys more chances maybe that would kind of help their national profile a little bit yeah Jay you are the uh the guy who put this together here so what do you what do you have to say I think one of the points that Eric just made the fact that we are kind of a run first offense you got to remember as well Delvin gets a bunch of screen passes so like some of these guys when they're trying to run them on those tight routes 
they're using those essentially as their screen passes where we're hitting Delvin and saying, get in open space and go for it. The other thing that you've seen with, with these guys as well, that they've been talking about, not only this off season, but on the back end of last season was the importance of blocking and those guys understanding they have to be well-rounded wide receivers with their entire game, not just constantly looking up for the deep ball flying their way. So like for me, the, the thing about it is you start looking at some of those numbers, like in 2018 Diggs and Thielen were, were, a dynamic duo. Everyone loved them. They were literally ranked as the top dynamic duo within the league. And if you look at their numbers in 2018 and then flip to Thielen and Jefferson last season, last season they had 53 less receptions, but at the same point, they only had 69 less yards and they had three more receiving touchdowns. So like this Thielen Jefferson in their very first year together, given the way everything was weird during the pandemic, they really stood out as far as our, our top deep threat. And now that a guy like Kyle Rudolph is gone and you've got Tyler Conklin and some of these other guys trying to figure out what's officially going to happen with our tight, uh, tight end position, plus with Irv hopefully stepping up to another level this year, if all of these different weapons get out in free space and can make you hurt, like there's no reason why these guys aren't going to be able to do it because there's going to be double teams playing all over the field and you just have to pick your poison. So I think if, if everyone last year said we're going to hold on to Thielen and Jefferson can go one-on-one, good luck doing that this year because he's going to take it to another level. I agree. That's part of my argument is what I think Justin Jefferson is going to become. We we see the confidence out at OTAs. Gabe heard about the confidence out down in Miami during the offseason. You see it on his YouTube page. He's doing videos of him playing basketball, saying he's going to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. I just I love him. everything about this guy. I think he's going to take this offense He's, he's going to take the offense to the next level. I mean, we all saw what he was able to do last year, and he didn't. He wasn't even a main part of the offense in the first two games of the season. And a lot of people forget that it wasn't until week three when he when he really started, and Kirk Cousins kind of realized that hey, we have a guy here that needs the ball a little bit more uh, in this offense, and, and straight from there he just took off and, and ran with it. So uh, he's starting that out from week one from OTAs. Uh, he, he has all the confidence in the world, and, and I'm really excited to see what this Vikings offense is going to do. A run-centered offense, as Eric said, with the combination of what we have in the wide receiver room and what these young tight ends are bringing uh, to this offense. I cannot wait to see what happens here. But let's move on to the next topic, and the topic is an awesome interview. Eric had, had the chance to sit down with CBS Sports, one of the top NFL draft experts in the country, Chris Trapasso, uh, he broke down all of the top storylines for the Vikings throughout the draft and what he thought of the first-round pick and trade with Christian Darisol. So we're now joined by Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports, and Chris does a great job every year of covering the draft inside and out. And Chris, we haven't talked to you since the 2021 draft ended, so just want to get your real quick reaction to the Vikings draft in general, I guess. Did you have a letter grade for it? It wasn't seven rounds. It was six rounds this year. Just a quick reaction overall. How'd the Vikings do in the draft? Yeah, overall, I really believe they had one of the better drafts in the entire NFL. And a big part of the reason why was the fact that they moved down in round one. And I'm being a draft guy, I'm always a proponent of getting as many draft picks as possible to increase the chances that you will pick good players. So they do that in round one, and they get my number two offensive tackle in Christian Darasaw at 23 overall. I thought that was tremendous value. Uh, it filled a need. It was one of my favorite picks in the first round. And then to get Kellen Mond, to get Wyatt Davis, um, who I think can be future starters, and just filling out uh, some positions of need later in the draft with the defensive lineman that we're going to talk about today. Uh, I thought Cam Bynum in the fourth round was great value. Kind of feels like a little bit like Cam Dantzler that, that isn't the most athletic player, but is very naturally a good cover corner or a safety. Um, and then even getting Jalen Twyman at 199 overall, I thought was tremendous value. So they started off very well with that trade back and still landing who I believe in Christian Darasaw is a franchise left tackle in round one. And to have a bunch of picks, I really liked what they ultimately did on day two and throughout day three. So uh, the Vikings ended up with 11 total draft picks, and that's pretty much the standard under Rick Spielman. It's 
we feel like it's never going to be less than double digits with Rick. <laughs> of those, of those eleven picks, three of them, as you mentioned, were defensive linemen. So we'll start with the first one taken, and that was Patrick Jones, the second, the defensive end out of Pittsburgh. He was selected at number ninety overall in the third round. Just, I guess, just to start, what did you like about him coming out into the draft? I really liked how polished he was as a pass rusher. And when I say that, I mean he has pass rushing moves. He understands, even in the ACC, he understood that he wasn't going to just be able to win around the corner with speed or power. Like he can swim, move back to the inside, just do a simple crossover move like a basketball player, um, understood how to use a swipe move, rip move around the corner on that outside speed rush. I think a lot of those Pittsburgh defensive linemen over the years have come into the league very refined in how to use their hands. and. For as much as being a good athlete uh, can be a very good indicator of future success in the NFL, I think if you're a defensive lineman entering the league and you still have no idea how to use your hands, it's going to be an uphill climb uh, to ultimately becoming a successful uh, edge rusher, interior lineman, doesn't matter where you're playing. I had an early fourth round grade on Patrick Jones, so I don't think this was much of a reach at all. And again, it, it filled the need with someone, and they kind of went with diverse options in terms of the type of edge rusher that they wanted to add to this roster. But I, I really like the idea of going with a high floor player in Patrick Jones first. So Jones, I think is 6'4", 262 pounds. Do, do you think that kind of fits the mold too of what the Vikings have kind of gone to in the last, you know, six, seven years of, of the body type they want? Yeah, that's part of it too, is that they, they didn't sacrifice not picking that prototype by taking someone in Patrick Jones that does have the length, the size, the body, you don't have to worry about him getting much stronger or anything like that. Uh, so I think to stay with the prototype and still get him in the third round, someone that has a high floor, I, I just, again, thought that made a lot of sense for the Vikings. The team that we knew going into the draft needed to address the edge rusher spot. And actually, I liked the fact that they went offensive tackle first to help Kirk Cousins help the offense we know it is a passing predicated league today and then later on they littered some of those late picks along the defensive line I think that was the right uh, way to kind of navigate this 2021 draft if you look at the Vikings defensive end group now obviously it's led by Daniel Hunter uh, but then after that it seems like there's a lot of competition for that second starting spot in the depth behind them obviously Stephen Weatherly's back and DJ Wanham is, is back from a year ago but after that, I mean, do you think Patrick Jones could be in the mix early to make an early impact? I think so. I mean, to see not only what I talked about earlier with his pass rush move arsenal, the fact that he was really productive. I mean, 17 and a half sacks, 24 tackles for loss in the last two seasons at Pittsburgh. When you have pass rushing moves and you proved that those would be effective at the college level and you uh, were productive, I think th that is why he's a high floor player. And beyond being a high floor player, I think he's pretty much instant impact. There's not a lot of development. This is not someone that the Vikings need to feel like, hey, maybe by 2022 or 2023, Patrick Jones could be a, a decent contributor. I think with that competition for that number two edge rusher, I think Patrick Jones will be a strong candidate uh, to hit the ground running and be productive opposite Donnell Hunter in Minnesota. The Vikings went back to the well at defensive end in, in the fourth round, too. They drafted Janaris Robinson, the defensive end out of Florida State. He was the 134th overall selection in the, in the fourth round. Um, kind of the, a similar uh, leaner guy at 6'5", 262. W what do you think his uh, best trait was? His burst off the snap. I wrote in my scouting notebook that he looks like a pass-catching tight end on the field. Like he, When he is chasing a running back from the backside, when he's picking up a fumble, uh, it's insane how athletic Janarius Robinson is at that size. In terms of physical traits, like he's got crazy long arms, and if Patrick Jones fits that Vikings prototype that they like bigger, longer, stronger defensive ends, Janarius Robinson certainly checks that box too. It's kind of the opposite of Patrick Jones in that the pass rush move arsenal is not really there yet, but he's bendier than Patrick Jones. And like I said, the burst and the explosion off the snap, even though Patrick Jones is not stiff and he's not slow, but Janarius Robinson is just a different type of athlete. And if you want to go high floor early in round three with someone that can be instant impact, like Patrick Jones, 
but then also later in the draft look for potentially the next Danelle Hunter. And I know that's been repeated over and over again. Um, and it, it's kind of an unfair comparison for any of these players because Danelle Hunter is so immensely talented. It makes sense to say, hey, let's roll the dice in the fourth round. We have a bunch of fourth round picks on someone like Janarius Robinson that showed flashes, I truly believe, of being like a first round pick. Flashes, not consistency, but his speed rush, how he can dip and bend at being that tall and that big uh, was very, very impressive. So he's more of a work in progress, but don't be surprised if Patrick Jones is more consistent on a down-to-down basis, but Janarius Robinson early in his career has some insane splash plays because he really is in that Danelle Hunter realm of just being an absolute freak at a premium position. So do you think then if he has, you know, flashes and maybe need a little bit more time to grow, is he uh, a situational rusher, you know? Do you think he maybe makes an impact in the second half of the season? Does it maybe take him more time? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think uh, he's more situational. You want to just say, all right, you are going to pin your ears back and rush the passer. We're not going to worry about you uh, early in the season on first down when teams are more likely to run. We want you to just get that outside speed rush and threaten with your speed. If he, at any early point in his career, if Janarius Robinson can uh, develop even one counter move off that really explosive outside speed rush, that's really all he would need to to be that situational rusher that's not going to play 600, 700, 800 snaps, but can be that useful rusher on third downs and even second downs. We know that in today's NFL teams are passing a lot more frequently on the early down. So I think, yes, situationally, you want him in some sub packages, your rush packages in Mike Zimmer's defense. And yeah, by November, December, when the Vikings are uh, hopefully making a push for the playoffs, if you add someone with that level of athleticism to a revamped defensive line that we know is very sturdy in the middle, good against the run with some of the pieces that they've brought in at defensive tackle and has different types. They have a Donnell Hunter type. They have someone similar in Janarius Robinson. They have a high floor guy in Patrick Jones. I think that ultimately will be a very good group because of the variation that they'll be able to send at opposing quarterbacks. You mentioned defensive tackle. The Vikings only drafted one this draft, but they and they did it with their final pick, and that was at 199 overall. The sixth round with Jalen Twyman, the defensive tackle out of Pittsburgh. You know, a lot of people I think were high on him after 2019, but then he didn't play. He opted out for the 2020 season. How do you think that opt out affected his draft stock? It really hurt him because in 2019, to hit the double digit mark in sacks as a defensive tackle, that put him on the radar. He had 10 sacks, 12 tackles for loss in 2019 at Pittsburgh. And certainly I don't blame Jalen Twyman or any other prospect for opting out. Um, But with that defensive line with Patrick Jones there at at Pittsburgh and Rashad Weaver got picked in the fourth round by the Tennessee Titans, they were bound to create a lot of pressure up front and Jalen Twyman to have those two NFL caliber edge rushers uh, on either side of him, he would have been in a lot of one-on-one situations on the inside. So I think had he played, had the pen, pandemic never happened or he decided that he wanted to play, he would have gotten picked a lot earlier than the sixth round. And truly, that was one of my favorite in terms of pure value. Uh, I thought that was awesome value. Like I, I was sitting there grading all the picks on day three for CBS Sports, wondering when is someone going to pick Jalen Twyman? And for him to all the way, to fall almost to pick 200 and be selected in the sixth round, I thought that was awesome value for the Vikings. So let's go back to 2019 when he, when he did play. What did he? You, you mentioned the double digit sacks. What what did he shine at? What what kind of did he do to put his name on that radar? He's very similar to Patrick Jones, and like I said earlier about the Pittsburgh program and that coaching staff, I think they just do a really good job teaching their defensive linemen to win with their hands. And there was very early on some Aaron Donald comparisons. Jalen Twyman is not that type of athlete. But I think those comparisons arose not just because of the production and because he wore number 97 at Pittsburgh, but because the pass rush move arsenal was fantastic. Like You saw him beating centers and guards with three or four very efficient, very effective moves that, that were happening in a split second, and he, and he automatically had that win at the point of attack. So uh, that's really why I like this pick for similar reasons to Patrick Jones in round three, to get someone that you don't really have to teach or to coach up on how to win at the point of attack 
um, in the NFL that can beat blockers in a variety of ways, use the leverage, um, certain angles uh, to win those one-on-one reps. I think that's what Jalen Twyman can do right away. Really with him though, it's all about not only winning, but then having enough burst and speed to finish on the quarterback. I think he'll have a little bit more problems doing that in the NFL than he did in the ACC. But again, high floor because he understands how to use his hands very well. Twyman obviously is not going to start with Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson up front, but you know he's probably in the mix for the three, four defensive tackle spot. And in what role do you kind of see him playing as a rookie? Well, what's interesting is that with Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson, those are two super wide, awesome run defenders. And for as good as I thought Twyman actually was against the run for being kind of an undersized uh, three technique, he adds another layer, just like the defensive line out wide, another layer to the interior of this defensive front in that he is an attacker. He is a pass rusher. So if the Vikings really want to have distinct packages where the, where Michael Pierce and Delvin Tomlinson are on the field in what the Vikings believe are obvious running situations, I think that's a, a great tandem to have on the interior. In more past situations, maybe later in the season, uh, to have Jalen Twyman on your roster to be able to just deploy him up the field and say, use those pass rushing moves, that quick first step uh, to get into the backfield and disrupt. We're not expecting you to be able to close on every single quarterback in the NFL uh, and have 10 or 12 sacks, but we want you to just be specialized, almost like Janarius Robinson. Say, hey, pin your ears back, get after the quarterback. That's another reason why I really like this pick because they have these great run stoppers. They needed someone with a little more pass rushing juice. And certainly with the production at Pittsburgh, the pass rushing moves, Jalen Twyman is a pass rushing specialist that I think over the course of Mike Zimmer's career, he's really liked and gotten the most out of. Uh, so I think that's probably part of the reason why he was picked when they saw him still on the board at 199 overall. Chris, always great stuff. We appreciate your insight and, and thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Eric. All right, well, thanks again to Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. And Eric, since we have you here on the show, I just kind of want to get your overall takeaways from what you thought about that conversation, what you learned. There was so much there to break down. Yeah, I I always like talking with Chris, um, and I think mainly because I like getting his post-draft reaction. You know, when we go through the draft and we all spend, you know, months and weeks leading up to the draft talking to experts about who their favorite players are, where they think guys are going to be picked, what team needs, you know, are are, are highlighted. But then the draft kind of comes and goes, and I want to talk to those guys again and kind of recap the draft. So, you know, I always like talking with Chris, and I thought he he gave great insight to the different needs that the Vikings filled. And as you guys heard in the interview, he's really high on those three defensive linemen that the Vikings drafted, the the two guys from Pitt and Patrick Jones the second and Jalen Twyman and then the guy from Florida State, Janaris Robinson. And what stood out to me the most was that each one kind of brings their own flavor to the team. They're not all all of the same mold where, okay, you just kind of plug this guy in and they all do the same thing. They all kind of offer a different skill set. So it'll be fun to see how Andre Patterson kind of worked with all three of those guys and kind of builds their game during their rookie season. Like my takeaways from your interview with them is he kind of explained Patrick Jones the second as you know a, a pat more of a pass rusher than Janarius Robinson who's more of a run stuffer and then Jalen Twyman you can put him in on situational downs so I think with all of that said like would you assume that there would be you know a, a pretty healthy rotation of defensive ends getting in this year I think so and mostly because opposite of Daniel Hunter and we have to obviously figure out what happened with him but opposite of Daniel the other defensive end spot to me is wide open. Like I know Steven Weatherly's back, but he wasn't really a starter when he was here before. And so why can't Patrick Jones or DJ Wanham or Robinson, why can't one of those guys be the starter? I, I think they can. I mean, whoever shines in camp in the preseason is going to, is going to earn that role and there's going to be plenty of rep to go around. And with Twyman. Yeah. I think he has a, a chance too, because behind Pierce and, and Tomlinson, it's, it's, kind of a bunch of unknowns as well. I mean, you have Armin Watts coming back and he's been here for a few years, but 
You know, James Lynch was only a rookie last year. He played minimally. I guess Hercules Mata'afa kind of is in the mix somewhere in there. Twyman can certainly earn a role. I mean, why can't he be the third or fourth defensive tackle too and commit on passing downs? You know, kind of similar, I think, maybe to what Tom Johnson did here a couple years ago. Yeah, really good stuff, Eric. I learned a lot just from I, – I can't believe when you ask him all those questions about those later-round picks that he – kind of just spits out the the stat the all the stats from Jalen Twyman like from his junior season um fr- from his season before last season when he when he took off um due to covid so that guy is a smart dude i can listen to him talk about all the x's and o's of throughout the draft process every each and every single year so really good stuff eric really enjoyed that interview looking forward what, what do you guys have to look ahead to? I know we have a few more OTA practices uh, coming up here another week here at the TCO Performance Center, but what are you most looking forward to um, at this point in the Vikings offseason, Gabe? Just seeing how these young guys continue to progress. Um, like I started off there the show with today, the game is starting to slow down for the veterans. I think it is also for some of the rookies also, if I had to name one. I would probably say Darisol and um, Wyatt Davis. Like they're just not. You, I don't know. I guess from Jay, you can probably under, you can probably sense this too, just from like playing the game. Like you can sense when somebody's just overthinking. Like there are a few players out there. I'm not going to name names. Like they're just overthinking, and it's like you get it. They're a rookie. It comes with time. But seeing a guy like you know Christian Darisol, you know when he's on the sideline. Like he's he's going through the reps of the left tackle also. I mean, he's behind Rashad Hill right now, but he's actually walking through what he would do if he was in the game. Um, and that helps. And I'm excited just to see how those young guys just progress. Um, that That's the that's what this time of the, of the year is for is for for these guys to learn the game and figure it out before preseason. Granted, we, we have an OTA period compared to last year. Um, I think to that point, hopefully everybody stands safe and healthy. But just to be able to see guys just out there running around again, I'm excited just to continue to see that. Eric? Yeah, I think the position group that I'm most excited to watch these last couple weeks of OTAs and minicamp and then obviously into camp is the cornerback group because so many kind of question marks there a little bit Um, and not necessarily in a bad way. They're just kind of that group has a lot to prove, I think, is the better way that I'll put it. Um, You know, Patrick Peterson, you know, he's got a lot of doubters out there, but he looked great in the first week of OTAs. Um, You know, Cam Dantzler was not here the first week of OTAs. And then uh, he didn't do team drills on Wednesday in the open period. So um, we'll kind of see where he's at. Harrison Hand has looked great in in OTAs so far. I mean, he... um, he had a for sure interception on Wednesday of Kirk Cousins uh, against Justin Jefferson in the red zone. And if you can if you can do that against Kirk and JJ, you can probably do that against anyone in the in the league. Um, you know, Jeff Gladney, we'll have to see what happened with, with his situation. Um, you know, Chris Boyd has been getting some good reps because of the, kind of the, the interchangeability of the players. Um, but that's another way of saying that not everyone has been here at cornerback because um, Peterson wasn't here on Wednesday this week. So it's not like the Vikings have had a full complement of corners to work with. So whether that happens in week three of OTAs or in minicamp or in training camp, once everyone gets on the field and the battle really begins, I'm really intrigued to see kind of who can elevate their play and, and kind of find their way into, into some starting roles. And Mac Alexander, too. I didn't mention Mac, but but he's looked good, too. He had a pick today on Kirk as well. Um, I think I mentioned that at the top of the show. So. Lots of lots of uh, battles, you know, on the horizon for the cornerback group, and also what we mentioned earlier with that money being freed up, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Vikings bring in another cornerback for sure. I agree. A veteran cornerback would be nice. We know we added a big name veteran cornerback in Patrick Peterson. That's probably my biggest takeaway is seeing him out there on the field in that number seven. Uh, that stands out. When you see Patrick Peterson rocking a number seven in a Vikings uniform and we have only seen him wear that bright red, it's a little bit different uh, here in the Twin Cities, so I love that. Jay, what's your uh, your your final takeaway and what you're looking forward to? Uh, I think the biggest thing is, like we talked about earlier, the just the chemistry building and those guys being able to be on the field this year and just seeing what kind of leaps and bounds that means for the rookie class. We ended up getting trial by fire week one against the Packers um, and, you know, having Rogers and Devonte Adams on the same, same page, it really kind of helped 
elevate and show just kind of how out of sorts a little bit our secondary was at that point. But hopefully this offseason, those rookies like we've been talking about are getting those valuable reps, getting that valuable classroom time and just getting the feel on the field. Like Gabe was just saying, too, you can kind of tell when people are still swimming a little bit and they're they're thinking instead of reacting. And uh, so hopefully as things progress here through now and then through mini camp here and, and towards the back end of June, that um, you'll just see things start to click in that way when they hit training camp, they'll be firing all cylinders as they start to install their, their preseason week one uh, game plan for whatever they're going to end up doing against the Broncos. And, um, and so it's going to be fun just to see how, how this all progresses over the next essentially seven weeks. Um, On top of that, what am I looking forward to most? Um, We're going through a lot of, of, of planning right now, as far as training camp, and coverage for the fans and what, what they can expect, not only for camp, but then for the beginning and, and during the season. And so the, the fun, exciting stuff for us is just being able to go through, figure out what kind of new content we're going to be bringing everybody and, and what kind of uh, new elements that we can refresh some of these different shows up with as well. So we're getting to the point, we're getting close to uh, episode number 100 here, the Minnesota Vikings podcast. And so we're looking to try to uh, shake some things up a little bit there too. So it's just exciting to finally have what hopes to be a normal season back. And uh, that starts with the fans too. So it'll be fun to not only see the team back out there on the field, full go, but have the fans back in the building and have the fans around uh, giving their oohs and ahs and just being excited like we are. Need those fans at training camp. I know we're all praying for that. That will be announced officially uh, with the schedule and everything, hopefully soon here, as well as the preseason schedule getting announced very soon as well for your Minnesota Vikings. So everything is coming into fruition for for hopefully what is a normal season uh, for the Vikings after what we all went through last year. Not fun um, for anybody. So um, looking forward to all of that. We're looking forward to the continued OTA coverage on Vikings.com. Every single day you will have a daily highlight from the TCO Performance Center as well as some mic'd up segments that are coming every few days on the Vikings Entertainment Network platforms as well as Gabe uh, gets a chance to interview a player each and every day from Vikings OTAs. We've had Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Harrison Smith, and many others so look forward for that as well. Last piece of content I'm looking at, I love to watch Pete Bursich break down some film. And on the Vikings Entertainment Network platforms, we have a ton of that content, including a recent episode of a film breakdown of Ohio State guard Wyatt Davis, who is a favorite draft pick of many uh, for this year's Vikings draft class. So look out for that, as well as all of the film breakdowns that are coming up throughout OTAs. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate you joining us for this episode and look forward to chatting with you during OTA week three next week.